The How To Academy podcast is the bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking. They host exclusive in-depth interviews with world-leading scholars, artists, scientists, and entrepreneurs, exploring new ideas for understanding and changing our world. Past guests include Bill Clinton, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Elizabeth Gilbert, Daniel Kahneman, Marina Abramovich, Malcolm Gladwell, Michael Lewis, Joyce Carol Oates, Gabor Mate, Chelsea Manning, and many more. That's the How To Academy podcast, to the word, not the numeral, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Welcome to Artificiality, the podcast from Helen and Dave Edwards from Sonder Studio. We created Sonder Studio to empower humans in our complex age of machines, data, and AI. Through our strategy, innovation, and change services, we help organizations activate the collective intelligence of humans and AI. We work with leaders in tech, data, and analytics to co-create AI strategies, design innovative AI products and services, and craft change management programs that help their people succeed in an AI-powered, data-centric, complex world. We leverage the new world of foundation models, generative AI, and low-code environments to create an amplified human-machine experience centered on machines that can be a mine for our minds. You can learn more about us at GetSonder.com. Welcome back to Artificiality. This week, we are here to discuss a very fun topic, the existential risk of artificial intelligence. Extinction. Extinction. This podcast is a uh, companion piece to our newsletter this week. So if you're catching us on a podcast platform, please make sure to navigate over to our Substack, artificiality.substack.com, to be able to read the entire essay that we're going to be here discussing. We also have some companion pieces um, in somewhat of a multimedia experience. So check it out and subscribe to get all of our content there. Now let's start off. Uh, Helen, uh, let's talk about why we're here talking about this at all. What is existential risk uh, of AI all about? Well, it's essentially about how AI is going to kill us all instantaneously. Yikes. And the reason that uh, we're even touching on this subject because we normally kind of steer clear of it. It's uh, up until now been, you know, a distraction in the world of sort of science fiction. Um, So why are we talking about it now? Uh, Because everyone else is talking about it and there's a reason that we're talking about it. That's kind of where um, our work in the last little while on this has gone. Um, And it's it's fascinating because... Um, what it, it's it's sort of this intersection of science and philosophy and ethics, and some of it is remarkably unscientific. It, it's it's science fiction, not science fact. But the thing is, it's sort of got into everyone's minds, and one of the core reasons that I think that's underlying everything is a couple of different things. One is we're all wrestling now with what even is the definition of intelligence. You know, it's a lot of Um, conversations, we've been involved in many conversations over the last few months. So we, um, how do we define intelligence? How do we measure intelligence? What does it mean that we have this alien intelligence? Is a language model actually thinking? You know, those kinds of conversations. And 
this is sort of highlighted that um, yet another thing that's always fascinated us with AI is it holds up this mirror to us. And the mirror it's holding up at the moment is um, what is intelligence. And it's sparked off a whole range of conversations across the board about what does it mean to have to, to start thinking about conceptualizing or bringing into the world a, an intelligence that is smarter than us. And what we've observed over the last few weeks is, is actually a pretty confused conversation. And it's so confused that it kind of got me interested <laughs> because it's like a great big spaghetti of people mixing up concepts around um, living systems versus intelligence versus agency versus um, how we might die versus how many people might die. Is it just like a few million or is it everyone? Does it happen over time? Is it instantaneous? Is it truly dangerous or is this just a complete distraction? And I think where we've ended up landing, which is quite interesting to me, is back where we started around intelligence, which is if intelligence is something that um, we, uh, like we're learning how to value it differently and we, uh, and, the, and we start to define intelligence as being something that um, – can form its own goals, whether it's living or whether it's not, whether it's conscious or whether it's not, um, that can define its own goals, that once it can define its own goals, that the sub-goals that come along for the ride actually end up being potentially kind of dis destructive. And there's lots of leaps of faith that you kind of make in this. If you define intelligence in that way, then suddenly something that's quote-unquote, more intelligent, is scarier. We can't keep up with it. So uh, this is all quite theoretical. There's no empirical data that, that really exists here to sort of inform the debate, which is why it's frustrating for people to, to listen to some of these debates because they do get pretty hand-wavy and they do get um, uh, almost culty. And quite cultish. So we're sort of trying to pull this all apart. You know, where are the, the biological metaphors taking us? Um, what are the core premises? How many assumptions are you stacking on top of the other to sort of get to this idea that we're all going to die when there's a super intelligence? Um, and the other thing that kind of attracted us to this was OpenAI suddenly saying, well, they're going to devote 20% of their compute to the safety aspects of this, to not creating a superintelligence that's going to kill us all. And I know that that was the, probably the one thing that made you sit up and pay attention. Yeah, that, that definitely caught my attention. So here's the company that is, um, has a stated goal of creating artificial general intelligence, or now they talk about AI superintelligence. They're the usage of, of sort of... Um, terms that don't actually have definitions or, or well, goals. This is what's happening with the word intelligence, yeah. right? We don't know what AGI yeah. is. We know what super is. But, you we, know? but we know that their goal is to make something that they at least consider by whatever measurements and metrics they're using to be superior to human intelligence uh, as an individual and also as a collective. And then they come out and say that they think that's going to happen in the next, I think they said five to 10 years. 
And they think that that's so risky that they need to create an AI to monitor the super intelligent AI because the super intelligent AI will be so much more intelligent and so much faster that we humans won't be able to govern it anymore. And they think that's so important that they're going to put 20% of their compute um, against creating a hall monitor kind of, you know, for the, you know, the, the super intelligent to make sure. So, so they're making a super intelligence that's going to be so much smarter than us that we're not going to be able to control it. So they have to create an AI to be able to control the other AI, which of course makes me wonder whether that super intelligent would be smart enough to get around the hall monitor, right? But we won't know that because they're both so much smarter than us. So that's sort of confusing in one starting point is, okay, if you think this thing is going to be so smart and so dangerous at the same time that you have to create something else to control it, why are you starting, why are you making that at all? Well, that's, but then, and, and that's what the sort of letter's about, right? Yeah. The letter that people signed and, and the fact that, I mean, we, we have a decent chunk of AI researchers saying that they think there's somewhere between a 10 and a 50% probability that it'll destroy yeah. us. So you have all these people that are much more in, you know, knowledgeable about the actual workings of these things than, than the vast majority of people on the planet. And they're so worried about it that they think that there's A, a, a significant enough risk that we'll all die, and B, they now think that they have to spend 20% of their compute to make sure that the, the first thing that they're creating doesn't kill us all. And that all makes to stop, and there's a whole, there's a, there's, a, there's a long thought process which someday we'll come back to, which is what does this mean for every other company in the world, and how do we think about the risk or the opportunity or something there. We'll come back to that. But let, let's start in, you, you mentioned the core, sort of core premises behind this question of whether AI will actually kill us all. So let's walk, walk through those. Okay. So there's sort of three core premises and they stack on top of each other. Okay. Um, the first is that we'll build an, out, an intelligence that will outsmart us. Okay. Just whatever measure that is, it's smarter. Yeah, which is... Let's start by just make, highlighting the fact that the the measurement of intelligence and the measurement of smarter is some is a is a complicated world in and of itself, and it, and we we have some a level of alignment and some level of disagreement with the general metrics that everyone's using. Well, yeah, but, and it's it's sort of a yes, AlphaGo was instantly smarter. Well, yes. that took years to develop, but then once it beat a human. It's yes. smarter. The human couldn't beat it back. Yes. So that is a AlphaGo super intelligence. And if Lisa Doll's life depended on beating it in you know the next round, mm -hmm. that would have been an existential risk for him. Yes. Um, so that's sort of the first thing: is smart. It'll outsmart us. It's faster. It's bigger. And the claim is that it's not just smarter on individual tasks, yeah. which is the way we've lived with AI so far, but so far. that it is smarter generally across all things. And that's where I just, the, the bookmark I want to put in there is that it's, we don't actually have good metrics of what that means. We can say, it, can an AI be superior to us in certain things, in certain tasks, at speeds, et cetera. But we're, we're working in a world now where we're starting to really learn about human intelligence and what that actually means and all the forms of human intelligence that are outside the world that can be computed. Yeah, or even just, I mean, at the moment, one of the interesting discussions that's going on, and we're going to be digging into this in the next few months, is do we even, are we even testing AI on the right things? 
exactly. things that are appropriate to test humans on yes. might just not be appropriate to test AI on because guess what? It's nailing Different. them. <laughs> well, you know, a, well, passing the bar exam. Well, yeah. you know, that's super intelligent. Well, it's actually just a really good memory. But there are uh, the, the AI's ability to draw these vast correlations, maybe that's a different kind of thinking. Mm. Well, if we go back to our interview with, with T. Nguyen, um, and he talked about metrics and metrification, and one of the things that he um, talked about, I'm pretty sure on the podcast, it wasn't a separate conversation, but he talked about how difficult it is to, um, to grade um, papers and across just domains inside a university. I think he talked about the fact that you know, the head of the business school would have no idea how to grade papers for him in philosophy and vice versa. But you stop and you realize that those kinds of things of how do we actually, we've, we've created a metric that says, here's the score on your LSATs. Okay. And, and, a, and an AI can learn those things. But there's the rest of our human intelligence, which we actually don't have ways to measure very well. There well, isn't. We're struggling with creativity. Right? Exactly. So there's sort of this question. Anyway, so there's a, the, the underlying first premise is that we'll create an AI that's, that's superior to ours. Uh, clearly, the OpenAI folks and uh, a variety of other researchers all believe that that's, po that's possible. What do you think? Well, we already have, a, 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 you know, we know that speed, scale, and scope of processing is already smarter than us. Sure. The leap you have to take is that we understand enough about human intelligence to sort of somehow layer all of that across. And I, I think that it's pretty clear that we've got quite a long journey to truly understand that. Um, the Everything from we even very large language models make stupid mistakes through and clearly aren't actually thinking as humans think to all sorts of things about intelligence that we value that we haven't started to figure out how to mathematize or even have sort of coherent conversations around. You know, we can't, can't even come up with a good definition around creativity. So I think this is a fascinating journey that we're just starting. Yeah. Um, just the same as five, six years ago, the way that algorithms displayed bias and we started to be able to reason more precisely about bias and fairness, we'll be able to reason more precisely about intelligence because of the of the this interplay that goes on between the human side and the machine side, which is why we're here. That's what drew us into this field in the first place. I'm going to risk taking us down to tangent because I want to ask you this question. Do you think the right comparison is whether the AI will be more intelligent than or whether it will just be a different intelligent than us? I personally think the latter, because that's the bit we can't really see and understand. That's where, um, this is where uh, David Krakauer talks about um, cultural artifacts and the, and, and the way that we um, use AI as being something that we, we it's a competitive art, artifact. It competes with us for because we and, and I think he uses the the difference between a map and GPS. Uh, a, a map I can give to you, and you can understand how it works, and you can put that in your mind, and you can use it again, even without the map in front of you. Um, if you don't have a GPS in front of you, it, it's useless. You actually need it to be there, um, and I think that that's why we need to think about that second category that you put in. Yeah. Another important part of the sort of 
it will outsmart us. And this is something that I think is, um, it's pretty hand wavy, um, is this idea that there'll be an intelligent intelligence explosion, that things will just, um, there'll be this instantaneous leap from human level intelligence to some sort of far superior capability. And it assumes the sort of existence of a distinct threshold of superintelligence. And the immediate, the moment we cross it, the second we cross it, we're, we're done for. And when you hear some of the, the real like hardcore doomsayers in this, that's what they're talking about. That's, that's the bit that they're essentially sort of landing in on, that you've only got one shot to get it right. Because when you cross that line, you've suddenly unleashed this sort of, I don't know, new beast. It's like suddenly for, for um, you know, we, we've suddenly got this apex predator that never existed before and it's going to eat us all immediately. And I think that's the one that people get, have a hard time getting their head around. One, because um, it would be literally unprecedented. But two, people can't actually come up with much of a plausible scenario about how you're actually going to die. Um, it gets quite cultish quite quickly um, in some, some channels because when you, when you ask them exactly what they mean by that, you get answers like, well, it's going to invent a, you know, ChatGPT is going to invent a bioweapon. It's going to send an email order to a lab and the lab's going to invent this new thing. And that's, just, you know, and you it, it suddenly they're using lots of really long words in a sentence that you don't really understand. It all sounds very, like it, my pseudoscience, you know, flags go up at that point. So I think it's, that's not to say it wouldn't happen. If it's going to happen, we're, you know, if we're wrong about this, you know, and they're right, we're, we're, we're dead. <laughs> but um, is it immediate right now? No. Um, is it theoretical, philosophically and scientifically? Very. It is very theoretical. You're relying on many other assumptions of, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things you hear a lot of people say is, well, you know, less intelligent species haven't done so well when more intelligent species are around. That's true, totally. Um, so th I think there's genuine, you know, there's some some analogies and some metaphors here that are very um, that they get in your head, and the, the, the whole thing's you know the doomsayer thing can really make sense really quickly. Um, but we have to remind ourselves that they're uh, that, and the reason we sort of putting the brakes on some of this ourselves is, well, you know it. It's actually more important to, to focus on some of the key elements of AI safety and value alignment. Let's not be too distracted by this. Um, that's not to say that it isn't correct for people to start thinking about it, but in that 20% of open AI's compute, I'm hoping that like most of it is going to um, monitoring the use of hate speech or how many you know, how much fake has, has been, you know, all of this epistemic collapse that's more concerning. So you're getting to, in that question about open AI, your second premise, right? We will yep. not be able to control not it. Not be able to control right? so it. So their 20% is there. They're trying to, they're trying to figure out how to control it. So mm -hmm. talk to me about that premise. So this is, I think this is actually kind of the most interesting part of it because uh, one, the theory's the most interesting 
And two, we actually have some real-world evidence of where this happens all the time. It's in our human mythology. It's happened in societies. It's another version, essentially, of um, where... Uh, you wish for one thing and then then something else happens. You know, it's a you have a goal and you need all of these sub goals to achieve that goal. And somewhere along the line, the sub goals actually end up being the the dangerous thing. And we see that, the, that there's so many examples of counterintuitive outcomes of this kind of thing. So social media is a big example. You know, we we want meaningful engagement, and then we end up with just clicks and likes because that's what you can optimize. And the idea here, and this is where the modeling that the researchers do uh, is the most interesting, is that it's possible there's the emergence of what are called convergent instrumental subcoals. So they converge on a particular um outcome and they're instrumental in that they they help get to a goal and they do things on their own on, in their own way and they're emergent in the sense that um, they come out of this overall computation towards a goal and the uh, I mean the the sort of interesting part of this is what happens if those turn particularly bad and beyond human control and those don't it doesn't require a lot of imagination to to think of those things but it does rely on some um it does rely on the assumption that these things will um, emerge and become sort of power seeking on their own and the a lot of the conversation that you hear in this sort of frame is quite biological. It's like, are we going to be outcompeted? And there was a really interesting paper a few months ago about how um, AI will outcompete us. And I think a lot of the thinking has sort of has kind of gone from that particular paper. But this idea of instrumental convergent subgoals that become power seeking and resource hungry, because power is the best way to get resources, and. Um, in the when GPT four was released, right at the bottom of that paper, there was in the, one of the deep appendixes. There, you know, they, they were testing for power seeking, resource seeking behavior. Anthropic does this. Um, they look across and 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 bring out the data point. You know, the, the, how much correlation there is between particular t- points in the model and how much it's how much it's how, what it's seeing. It's interpretation of power-seeking behavior. So people are already sort of thinking about this. And and that is, if you started to see evidence of power-seeking, autonomous, agency-based resource gathering, then, yeah, you'd be kind of worried about it. At the moment, we haven't seen that. But that's that's the, could it gain, could it get, uh, could it outsmart us and gain power because we're just not looking in the right places and we're not thinking about it? What's the premise for what power, uh, sorry, what resources we would compete for? Well, in this one, the resources, the only ones you can measure are compute. Mm. So I think in the GPT-4 paper, um, it was very much about like, we're we're just literally looking on the server for whether it's looking for more compute on its own without being asked. The answer is no. And and of course, then the the question is whether, would... um, you know, with with OpenAI's AI, whatever it becomes, whatever it gets called, is it's still going to be called GPT, or whether they're going to find you know someone to help them with better names. But is you know is GPT going to actually compete with humans for a compute, or is its first 
is its first competition actually trying to get compute away from Google and Bard, right? Is it is it competing with other AIs for the for the compute? Because um, what else are we using these NVIDIA chips for, except for compute? Um, or is there you know is it something else? Um, okay, so that second premise is that we won't be able to control it. Third premise is it'll do things we don't want it to do. Yeah, Talk so but this has kind of always been the case with AI. And proxy discrimination is another example of doing things we don't want it to do because it's just so good at optimizing. But this is an, an entirely different world of that. This is about um, learning flexible planning and deception. It's, the, it's taking along those sub-goals into a sort of different world. And um, I think this is, um, I mean, this is sort of part of what we, this is the perennial concern of AI. It's actually the perennial concern of people, right? I mean, there's lots of people that do things I don't want them to do, and including you. And, oh. and, and I think that um, – so this is sort of a perennial one. You don't have to, 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 to make too many assumptions about this because you know it's going to happen somewhere. That, that, uh, but there's, I think, a different kind of level of misuse that can happen with these, uh, w- with this kind of, it doesn't even have to be super intelligent to be misused in a super intelligent way. And this is, if we can have incredibly powerful human machine co- collaboration, then that can happen just as much for bad as for good. So we sort of end up back in the full circle of, okay, well, what are we going to do about alignment? This brings us back to the topic of last week, which is thinking about values. And when I see the premise that it's going to do something we don't want it to do, I say, well, of course it is. It's going to be doing something that someone doesn't want it to do because we humans have such diverse and wide-ranging um, interests and goals and in terms of we all disagree uh, constantly about what it is that we want to do or don't want to do, but somehow we collaborate and compromise, whether it's with a couple or a family or a community or a society, we find ways to, to come together and compromise so that in general we're getting what we want. Um, but there's, I think there's, it's almost, I would almost flip it around as it, is it possible for a global AI to do something that everybody wants it to do without it being kind of in our vision of being a mind for our minds that is so attuned to individuals that it can actually try to work, you know, to, um, in, in that way. But this whole you know, sort of global premise is, is, is quite challenging. We've also, frankly, as humans, we've set a, you know, a, a, a long standard and a great amount of data for AI to learn about how we don't get along and we don't do things that other groups of humans want us to do. You know, we, um, these AIs have learned from all of the societal conflicts and wars and everything. Um, it's sort of, you know, picked up that we actually generally don't do what other humans want us to do anyway. Yeah, well, I saw, troublingly, I saw a, 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 an article yesterday that the, 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 uh, the idea about, behind it was that, that we've now got the level of discourse and negativity towards each other in the U.S. that hasn't been seen since the Civil War. I don't know how that was measured. I didn't go and have a look at the details. But if that's what AI is learning, um, then worry. I mean, this is 
it, it, when we had this conversation last week when we were, when you were saying, why do you want to go and do something on this? And I said, because people are talking about it. It matters that people are talking about it. Um, because one of the reasons it matters that people are talking about it is we actually want the AI companies to care as well. So on that topic, um, who uh, do you think our listeners should be listening to? Other than us, obviously. But when you think about other people who are talking about it, where are there people to think about and, and listen to and consider? Not just the, the ones that we're fans of, but where are, the, where are the important voices you think at this particular moment on this topic? Um, I think uh, Sam Harris is really interesting on this. Yeah. I, I definitely think that, um, that uh, his, his view on it is really quite well thought out. Um, it balances the theoretical science with the with the philosophy and with a healthy dose of you know you cut, there's an asymmetry here. It's so much harder to fix things that are broken, or you know to to prevent chaos than than it is to um, to to make chaos. So recognizing that asymmetry and recognizing that you can stand there all you like and say AI is going to save the world. But um, it's so much harder to prevent damage than it is to sort of go on a front trajectory. So I think um, Sam's really interesting on it. Um, there, there are huge, there are a lot of resources on the if you're really interested in diving into the existential risk and how the the sort of quote unquote experts are thinking about it. Um, the future of life institute, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, it gets pretty dark and technical fairly quickly. Um, I watched a really interesting debate in uh, called the Monk debate, uh, and it had Max Tedmark and Yoshio Bengio on one side, and uh, Melanie Mitchell and Jan Lacun on the other. And I actually found that quite a fascinating debate, um, and emotional enough to really sort of get the feeling across of how. Um, much people are kind of worried about either sides of this debate. Um, those are the sort of top ones, I guess, at the moment. A book to read, I just constantly say the you got to read Brian Christian's <laughs> The Alignment Problem, um, which is just such a good uh, book about this. And also uh, Stuart Russell's Human Compatible AI. And both of those were pre, sort of, not quite pre-transformer, but certainly pre-GPT um, level discussions around the sort of whole superintelligence AGI. But they really lay out the the the, um, the sort of grounded theory on on the AI that we know so far. Good foundational works to mm -hmm. truly understand this. Yeah, excellent. All right, great. Well, thank you very much for listening into Artificiality. We hope you enjoyed it. Please, again, go to uh, artificiality.substack.com. The essay that accompanies this podcast is deep and rich and worth your time and some companion pieces that will help you sort of explore a little bit more this question of existential risk. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you again soon. <music> Thanks for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe on Substack or your favorite podcast platform. And please leave a positive reading or comment. Sharing your positive feedback helps us reach more people and connect them with the world's great minds. Seriously, a review on Apple Podcasts is a big deal. 
And if you like how we think, then contact us about our speaking and workshops and human-centered product design. You can learn more about us at GetSonder.com, and you can contact us at hello at GetSonder.com. You can learn more about making better decisions in our book, Make Better Decisions, How to Improve Your Decision-Making in the Digital Age. The book is an essential guide to practicing the cognitive skills needed for making better decisions in the age of data, algorithms, and AI. Please check it out at mbd.zone, on Amazon, bookshop.org, or place an order through your favorite local bookstore. Spilling sound stage.